Hi, and welcome to the Sailorville Church Podcast. My name is Abe Miller. I'm here with John Nemers, my good friend, John Nemers, who is our evangelism director and Engage Network resident. Yes. Good to have you here, John. Very excited to be here, my friend. This is, um, as I was thinking about doing this podcast with you, I was thinking, oh man, I'm thinking back to the days when you were in high school and we were meeting together and... Like this. Yeah. Sitting across at Starbucks, having coffee, talking yeah. about life and the Bible and Jesus, and now we get to do it again. And you've obviously grown and matured and preached on Sunday. Great message. Um, and yeah, getting ready to plant a church as well, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting times. Crazy to think of how much we've grown. Yeah. Two of us even, especially me. I was a very, I still remember when Daniel would invite me to those Bible studies. I can't remember if I was a believer yet or not, but I remember he would invite me and sometimes I'd be like, "Ah, okay, I guess I'll go. And then it became one of the highlights of my week. Yep. And now you never get to hang out with us. Nope. And you never want to do coffee. This is us. the only time right here uh, doing a podcast. We get to <laughs> sit down and talk about the message. So that is what we're doing. We're going to be talking about the message from Sunday, which was in Matthew 10, right? Yep. Um, just give us a quick overview of what the message was about. And if you haven't listened to it or watched that, you can see that in the show notes. Go back and watch or listen to the message because really this conversation is going to be about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, those of you who are just listening, you won't be able to see this, but I do have a little bit of a memorabilia from the message right here. <laughs> if you can't see it, <laughs> this is a sign oh, from man. Paul. <laughs> Some of you may have missed it. A lot of you did. Uh, during the third service, I <laughs> happened to have my fly down the entire time. And that's all everyone's talking about today. <laughs> that's it. I've already gotten like six jokes about it. Oh, man. <laughs> Paul was in the front row with a sign that says, your fly is down and pointing at it the whole time. <laughs> On the screens in the front. On the screens in the Signs front. Signs flashing. I had no idea. I was just kept on preaching. And then Paul came up in the middle of the message and told me your fly is done <laughs> and you took it like a champ <laughs> what are you gonna do at that point you just gotta you know move on and, and uh but no the message itself before that point uh it was <laughs> it was a it was a really it was a missional message uh it was uh jesus um sending out the 12 um to israel just the the house of israel the nation of israel and uh, I basically, my thought process was you, know, you could take that story in and of itself, or you could preach that story and the meta narrative, what's going on in the bigger picture uh, in, in God's plan for redemption for, for the whole world. And so that's kind of the direction I took because obviously it'd be more applicable for us to kind of take it that way. So that was my thought process going in. And so I kind of, I started off, uh, uh, the beginning of the message, just kind of, um, talking about how Christianity has grown from, uh, at least from the new Testament's perspective, of course, you could start all the way back from the beginning, but I didn't have time to do that. So we just started with the 120 mm -hmm. Christians that you see in acts one, uh, and how it's grown to, you know, just, 2.6 billion professing Christians, not that all of them are genuine Christians, but at least 2.6 billion professing Christians. And, 
and basically just taking that that question how did how did Jesus change the world like this and he did it through 12 insignificant men from the Middle East that mm-hmm. were very normal and uh, uh, and he that was a part of his plan his plan wasn't to just gather up this large gigantic following his plan was always to intentionally uh, pour into a small group of, of people who are radically changed and who radically um, uh, see the importance of what Jesus has done in their need for him and his death and resurrection for them and uh, and then to train them to go out and tell uh, he understood the the, the uh, he understood multiplication in that sense so one lead one person leads two people those two people lead two people and course then it just expands that way so yeah so it was just a big it was a big message that was supposed to be kind of up up visionary go Mm -hmm. you are sent uh you're not an apostle in the in the biblical sense because you weren't a you didn't actually um hang out with jesus which are the new testament requirements and amongst other things but you are sent once that is who you are as a christian you are ones who are sent to go and obey the great commission and uh, to go tell others. And so, yeah, that was kind of my thought process going through the whole thing. Yeah. It was a great, great message. Great challenge. I think it was a lot of people. I think you, I think you helped us think bigger and that we are a part of the team, right? We are a part of the plan, the method, what Jesus was doing, even when it started with the 12 and then expanded. I think it was helpful for us to be able to see that, because I think a lot of times people are just like, well, I'm, I'm living life. I have kids. Yeah. I'm making money. I'm doing yeah. my hobbies. I'm trying to stay healthy. And, like, that becomes the focus instead of, like, man, what, what are we here to do? You know, so I thought you did a really good job with that. I just had some I had some, some thoughts from the message. You made some really good comments, some really good statements. I just kind of want to dive into some of those things. And, and even the idea of taking the 12, right? They were kind of – they were ordinary men. Right. You know, which was a which was an encouraging statement in itself, and you even mentioned that in the message about these these guys weren't like rock stars. They weren't, which I've always I've always talked about that with other people about like you look at a lot of people in the Bible, and it's not like everyone's raising their hand and saying, "Hey, pick me, pick me." Right. I've got a degree. <clears throat> I've got a plan. I've got the ability. Most of the time, these people are like nobodies. Right. Right. They're not the first pick. They're not the ones at the top of the line or at the top of the list here. And, and God's like, yeah, but I'm going to use you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to change the world. Right. Which we see throughout Scripture, right, uh, right. In, in a lot of those characters. But how does that for, – for the people listening, for the for the average person out there that's thinking, yeah, that is encouraging to me. Like, how, how do you encourage people that are that are maybe thinking that? They don't have a ton of talent. Maybe they're not really great up front. They don't – they're not great articulate communicators – they may be scared like the 120 that you talked about. How do you, what would you say to those people that are just out there going, I'm just an average Joe that wants to serve Jesus. Yeah. I immediately think of when Paul is laying out uh, the famous passage of, of the body of Christ. And he's saying, you know what, you know, if you're going to say you're an ear, but I have no use for, you know, the, the hand and stuff like that, that kind of famous passage, he has a really, he has a, he, he, one of the things he says in there sticks out. I can't, I'm blanking on the actual reference, but um, I'm sure somebody listening will know exactly what reference I'm talking about. 
where he says, uh, God, as it is, God has chosen, God, God has chosen each, uh, body part essentially intentionally. Is that first Corinthians 12? Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking of a specific verse yeah. and, uh, and maybe, uh, as you respond, I can look that up and actually give it. But it says he's he has chosen you to be that certain body part. Mm-hmm. So intentionally, right. God has chosen you with your characteristics, with your with what you may perceive as your your common at your what makes you common, what makes you an insignificant person because you feel the pressure of culture to be a type A personality. Um, or whatever it is, or to be attractive, or uh, to be taller, to be more trim, or whatever it is. Uh, but yet, here it is, and God has specifically and intentionally chosen you to be that way to fulfill the full function of the body, which in part uh, actually accomplishes his eternal purposes. Which for me, and it should be for anybody, is just like so mind-blowing that it does not matter who you are, whether you are the Billy Graham or or the, you know, this is common amongst uh, moms who have a bunch of kids and they just go through a season of life where it's like, gee whiz, am I anything but a stay-at-home right. mom? Like, do I do anything at all? And really not just it's not just hot air where you're going no like you're you're super meaningful in what you're doing and like yeah I get it like that can be something that you can kind of sit there and probably take like okay they're just trying to make me feel better but forget what people say like look at what the word of God says look at God is saying right here that you and what you're doing you ministering to your two-year-old child who kind of is kind of grasping what you're saying like is eternally purposeful like it is actually eternally purposeful in the mind of god and his purposes and moving that that movement that his 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 universal plan of of redemption uh towards the end um so yeah i mean i think it should be super encouraging for anybody because we all have these major self-doubt moments you know it doesn't matter how confident you are uh i remember one time uh i was just shows just how the self-doubt no matter how seemingly confident you are which um sometimes i might seem confident uh especially you know if you're if you're up up on a pulpit you know people have a tendency to go okay well you got to be somewhat confident to get up there and talk uh but i remember I, I don't usually do this, but after one of the services this is months ago, I asked one of my buddies, I said, Hey, well, what'd you think? And I don't usually do that. Uh, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, eh, it was all right. <laughs> and I go, Oh no. Like this is after the second service. And I go, well, what didn't you like about it? And he goes, well, no, no, no. You got to preach a third service. So I don't want to tell you. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, thanks. Go ahead and preach. And so I'm like, oh my goodness. I just had to like put that out of my head and go, okay, whatever it was, I'm just going to keep on going. And so I preached and then I saw him after the third service and I went up to him. I go, okay, well, what was it? What didn't you like? And he goes, oh no, seriously, I loved all of it. I just didn't want to give you a big head. <laughs> and I'm just like, Thank in you. my mind, I'm going, I think you overestimate how confident you think I am. Oh my like, goodness. <laughs> that like wrecked me yeah. on the inside. And uh, I think 
I think that's every human. Every yeah. human is constantly riddled with self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to be reassured that it doesn't matter how talented you are, how charismatic you are, uh, how gifted you are. You don't do jack yep. without God doing something. Yep. Um, and so, of course, historically speaking, when you look through all of Scripture, you all you get is a bunch of zeros that God is just doing amazing things with. And again, you go right back to what Paul says in first Corinthians and he goes, look, I, God, God uses the weak to shame the strong so that you don't have anything to boast. Like when I think of myself personally, I, 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 when you knew me in high school, I was, I was obviously not a Christian, but I was also just, I had the hardest time with everything and I still do in many ways, but like I couldn't spell, I couldn't read well. And so the fact that, that I could actually be able, have the privilege to open up God's word and be able to understand it in such a way that I can teach it to somebody. Mm. I can't in good conscience, unless I'm being super prideful, which of course comes into play all the time because I am super prideful and super sinful. I can't in all honesty, maybe is a better word to put, open up God's word, teach a message and go away saying, wow, I am just super intelligent. If I'm being honest, I have to go. The only way that I was ever to accomplish anything like this is because God, for some reason, chose to save me and to use me somehow, some way, which is true for every Christian. Yeah, I totally agree with the self-doubt. I mean... I think everybody, everybody, we're told not to portray that, right? We're, yeah. we're told to portray like we're men, we've got it figured out, we we know the answer, and yet I think most everybody, including myself, is like, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I sure hope, Lord, oh man, God, you've got to show up because I'm in over my head, which I think is good because it makes us depend on the Lord. But I, I, I do think that is a false thing that, especially in the church that like, we've got it figured out. And yeah, I'm, I've, I've asked that question, Lord, really like me, are you really mm-hmm. going to use me? Like, I feel like I'm not qualified. I don't have the gifting. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And I think there's a lot of people that would probably say that, but then it's encouraging when you look at that scripture and it's like, yeah, God chose these ordinary men yeah. to change the world. I mean that, yeah, they probably had doubt. I'm going to go off one of the things you said right at the beginning of your message. You said, you know, there's 120 of the disciples, mm-hmm. and you said scared disciples. Yeah. That resonated <laughs> with me, right? Because it, it is that idea of, like, scared. Yeah. Um, do you think there's a lot of scared Christians today when it comes to what we just talked about? I don't know if God's going to use me. I don't know if I've got the faith to step out, have a conversation. I don't think I'm a... I don't think I'm a world changer. I don't think I'm going to impact my school or my workplace or my neighborhood. Do you think, like, what would you say to those people? And do you think people are scared? Yeah. I would, I would actually hope for more scared Christians, just knee jerk reacting to your question. Because I think that the real problem in America is more of complacent Christians rather than scared Christians. If you have a scared Christian, at least they know that they should be doing something, right? At least they know that there's a mission out there. And that's, that's a better step in my opinion. I think that a lot of Christians are just like, what mission? You know, I'm saved. What do I, what do I have to do? I don't, you know, I'm no, I'm not, 
supposed to be doing anything or, you know, that's for other people to do. And so they don't see themselves as, as the ones who are in ministry, which is flat out what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, God has given the, 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 the evangelists, the, the pro, you know, all of, he lays out all of these people with these gifts. And he says he's given the, these you, the pastors, the elders of the church, uh, the job to equip the church for ministry. So people don't, especially in the American church, they just don't see that. They don't see themselves as the ministers of God's word. Uh, that's just that's just super spiritual people and then the church's job. So, I mean, knee-jerk reaction, it's almost like, man, if we had a bunch of Christians who are just like, oh, scared, that almost might be a good thing because then they're probably, I'm going to guess, coming to the elders and going, I'm really scared. How do I do this? Yeah. That's a great step right there because then we get to do our job, which is equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Uh, and so then, yeah, obviously, I think that is a real thing that, that people are scared. And and uh, I think that's probably something you can acknowledge. Like, hey, the fact that you're scared is actually a good thing. You realize that this is, this is a big deal. This is something that God's put on your heart that you know you need to do. Um, and then... Yeah, I think the the answer for them, I guess, is uh, you know it's 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 you know not easier said than done, but it is faith. You know, it is. Hey, this is where God meets you the most clearly is when you step out in faith. You know, and you in whatever situation you take every situation at at a, at a time. But yeah, I mean, being being faithful to God's calling, and I think one big thing is. Uh, you don't know how God's gifted you until you've kind of taken that step out. So you very well may be hindering the growth of the body, your local body, the church, by saying, you know, I just, I'm really, whatever your fear, whatever the fear is that's keeping you from saying something to your neighbor, your coworker, whatever it is, uh, God very well may have may have gifted you in this area of leading some or being an evangelist or, or even just being somewhat of a counselor or some, something like mm-hmm. that. And if you don't step out in faith, you just don't know it. Right. Um, so that'd be one thing I would say as well. Just, you have to step out in faith and just watch God work, mm-hmm. which is super cool when you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, let's talk about this. You made a comment there's a lot of spiritual obesity in the church today. Explain what you mean by that. You're talking about head knowledge, but you know, we're also told like, no, study the word, read the word, be in the word. You counsel out of the word, you share the gospel out of the word. Mm -hmm. But then there's also like, there's the comfort side of just like, Oh, I'm just more knowledge, more knowledge. It's almost like a distraction or an excuse to actually, um, actually doing what we're told to do. So talk a little bit about that comment that you made. Yeah. Uh, knowledge puffs up, love builds up, right? Uh, don't be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. And so, yeah, I think that any, any time or any place that you have the ability to continue to learn is a, is a great thing to have. But if it stops there, right, if it stops in the head, it's just going to puff up. I mean, that's biblical. That's right. it's just head obesity. I mean, you know, I kind of use the illustration of, 
of food obesity just because it seemed so natural. Like food is good. Knowledge of God, deeper understanding of him is a good thing. But too much of it with no activity is just going to get you fat, whether it's fat in the body with food or fat in the head with with knowledge. You have to, to alleviate that unhealthy balance. You have to apply what the word is actually telling you. You can't, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a, almost a paradox in a sense when you really think about it. Like, how can you be a deep studier of God's word? Now I'm convicting myself even just by saying this because I've been there. I've done this so many times where I've studied scripture after scripture and just dug into the text and everything behind it and just really got into it uh, and yet, not apply what it says, which is just, it's a paradox because how well do you actually know the text if it doesn't actually affect what you're doing, right? right? You clearly don't know it well enough, uh, which I think is a, a spiritual element to when you, even when you're reading your Bible and, and uh, um, praying, because we all should be praying when we're reading our Bible and just asking God, don't let this just become something that's just, good for my knowledge to be able to spark off in some Bible study I'm doing with a bunch of Christians just so they know that I'm in Ezekiel right now and I know what verse 27 in chapter 36 says, you know, all these things. Um, So, yeah, I think that's what I meant by it is, is, is anywhere, any, any place that you have an overemphasis of knowledge with no, with no application of movement then you're just going to get a bunch of uh, of of knowledge based Christians that usually I'm broad brushing, but usually are just grumpy. Don't really they always got to push back on something because they they know right. They become know it alls in that sense. Um, so it just ends up becoming an unhealthy church. Yeah, yeah. The knowledge or information versus transformation, right? The, I, I can get a lot of information. Yeah. we got information coming out of our ears right now. I mean, right. you got YouTube and everything else that you can watch any message. You can listen to any preacher. You can look up any kind of information about anything about the Bible. So we've got all this information, but, like, is it transforming us? Yeah. Is it actually changing the way we view life and people and time and money and parenting and yeah husband, wife, and how we look at our jobs and how we look at people around us. And you talked about their neighbors. I mean, is it transforming us yeah. is really the question, right? When it comes down yeah. to it at the end of the day. And we should always be convicted of that, right? So even if, even if you're not doing like the greatest job in it, the, the conviction should always be there. And we should always be joyful and thank God for that conviction. Because so often what happens is once you get too big of a head, you almost lose sight of the conviction or it becomes numb or whatever you want to call it. Callous maybe is a biblical term mm. where you just, you don't become convicted when you read something. I think it was Francis Chan who I first heard say, when you read God's word and you become convicted of it, you better make a habit of doing something about it right away. Otherwise it's going to be one step close, one, one step easier the next time or one click, whatever you want to use there, easier the next time you read something and you're convicted to not do it. Um, 
So you always want to, like, even for instance, when I was, when I'm preaching this message and I'm the evangelism director or like the old evangelism director, the resident now, you know, um, and I'm talking about these missional things, uh, you know, sharing the gospel and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, and I was convicted about my lack of my, we call them just the other day stories, uh, just the other day, meaning that things that happened just right. the other day, you know, and you can share them in a message to kind of back up like, hey, I'm doing what I'm talking about. And I was convicted. I'm going there. I'm going, man, I I have not had a lot of Bible studies, really rich Bible studies occurring in my season of life right now. And that was just super convicting while I'm studying and while I'm preaching these things, and 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 at that moment you go, okay, God, there's something I I'm realizing. I need to I need to make this call to this person. I need to go pursue that person a little bit harder. I need to be continuously op- or asking you for open doors. And that goes back to the conviction of God's word. And if I were to hear that and to say, yeah, but I mean, I got these excuses, like I'm in the residency now, so I got all these other meetings going on, and I am doing this, and I could point to all these other things that I am doing evangelistically that are working or whatever, but, you know, and I just go, so I can excuse this. Yeah. Then the next time I'm convicted of something, whether it's, you know, uh, pride or, or lust or anything like that, then it's just be, going to become easier and easier for that to just be pushed to the side make my excuses for what I'm doing good and, uh, and never change. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the questions I was going to ask maybe towards the end, but I'll ask it now, you know, like what you kind of mentioned this, but like, what is, when you think about living on mission, when you think about residency, church planting, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to move your family. You're going to, you're going to go away from comfort. You're going to start from scratch but like, what, what is your prayer? What does your prayer look like? What does your heart posture look like, like on a daily, weekly basis when you think about this kind of stuff? Because I think that, and, and in, for the person listening, what is that, what is that prayer? I, I want to be used, God. I, you know, give me opportunities. I'm praying in faith. I'm not getting those opportunities. I mean, just kind of talk through that. Like yeah. even, not that you've got all the answers, because we know you don't, but like what, what is in your head, what's in your head when you're thinking through this kind of stuff? Yeah, Kaylee and I, so we've tried to make a uh, a commitment to, uh, before we get up out of bed, we just, however we word it in our own minds or, or, or as we pray, but to just pray the great commandment, which Jesus lays out and saying, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think there's a reason why I know there's a reason why Jesus boiled all of the commandments down to those two things because everything else bleeds out from there. How am I going to live missionally? How am I going to love other people? How am I going to, all of those things end up stemming from, do I, do I love God? Uh, and so often we wake up with, with myself on the idol and I'm immediately selfish. I'm tired. I got to do all these things today. And I got yada, yada, yada. And so when you start your morning with, okay, God, this is every breath I'm taking is, is by your grace. 
And even more than that, you've shown yourself to me in a special way where I've been able to actually accept you uh, and come into a relationship with you. That's by grace. That's nothing else but by the fact that you open my eyes to you. You know, you start to think through those things. So grow my love for you and then let that bleed out into my love for others. And I think that really just helps at least. Again, you're not perfect and and it doesn't take long for as Jeremiah 17 says, it doesn't take long for our hearts to become deceitful above all things and desperately sick. You know, who can understand it? We can't even understand it. Only God can understand it. Uh, and so it doesn't take long for that to happen. But I do think that when you pray that way, and that is our daily prayer, that we would love our Lord and then love other people. Um, it's helpful because I'm naturally a selfish person. I'm naturally someone that uh, uh, thinks inwardly and not, not okay, how, how uh, as you know, Philippians 2 says, when we're supposed to be imitating the humility of Jesus, how might I, I think of this poor person as more important than me, which is super convicting, and yeah. it really changes a lot of the things you do. Yeah, Did that good. answer the question? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, let's move on to another another thing here. It um, you said Jesus wasn't married to his method, but he always had one. Um, and I know you and I have talked about this before about different um, different methods, different platforms that people are involved in. I mean, not not everybody is out knocking on doors, right? Right. Not everybody is on staff at a church. Most people are not. Yeah. So how how do people who are working, stay-at-home moms, they're going to school, yeah. like what's their method? How, how do they use their method? How do they use their platform? I know you and I have talked about that before, but like how do you, how do you just encourage those people to say, man, God has placed you yeah. in this specific role right now. Like don't waste the moment. Don't waste the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good word. You you have to differentiate where people are at in their lives, right? I mean, you had Paul, for instance, who uh, who was a single man, and he even said in his own epistles, "Hey, I would prefer if you're going to be in ministry, you know, be single as I am single, because then you right. can just give yourself over to God." And you see that in his ministry; he's just mm-hmm. popping around from city to city and. And uh, his method was very clear. Even in Acts, he he went to the synagogue first, and then to the marketplace. Never in reverse order. And when he went, when he came upon a city that didn't have a synagogue, he skipped the city. Not because there uns there weren't any unsaved people there, but it just didn't fit into his method, and so he just moved on. So it's a wisdom thing, and he realized this is I have the ability to do that. So I think there are certain people who have the ability to uh, do a lot. They have the availability to do a lot with their time and their resources. And so to those people, I would say anything you can get your hands on, I would say go all at it. Um, look at your look at your circle of influence. That's my biggest thing is I just say evangelism should always start with your with your closest circle of influence, which is by definition your family, right? Who you're living with. Now some people say, living by myself. Okay. So move the circle out. Mm -hmm. Who's next? Well, it's your neighbors. Uh, that's a big one that God's really been convicting me on lately. 
uh, you, you it's you're going to be hard pressed unless you just live out in the country on your own. And even then you still have your neighbors uh, that people that, you know, live in the farm next door or whatever. But most of us, we actually have neighbors. Uh, so looking at them and going, OK, these are my long term inner circle people here. This is my this is my ministry. This is my method. It should be a part of my method. If it's not, there's really something wrong here and we're not taking Jesus's words literally when he says, love your neighbor, we're taking it theoretically and going, well, our neighbors out there and not actually the people living right next door to us, like a normal interpretation of neighbor would be. Um, So that method's always going to be there. Uh, And then you can kind of take it out from there. Your friends, your family, uh, that's, that should be a part of your method. Uh, How, how am I, how am I going to, uh, win them with the gospel? How am I going to be a light to them? Uh, and then out from there, then you can kind of start to say, okay, what does the, what does the church have open? What kind of, what kind of events or ministries does the mm-hmm. church have like the door knocking? Maybe you are a person that that would be really good for you. Uh, so then you can attach yourself to that, or maybe you're a, a really good athlete. And so you want to come play basketball or, or whatever it is, you kind of just start game planning, which is another thing I like to say, what are you good at? Which is kind of my point with the method maker. Like, are you a method maker? Like what, what are your passions? Like for you, you're the perfect example. You did it. You did what I tell other people to do. You love bike riding. Mm I am not a big biker. So it would be very weird for me to like start this ministry with, cycling and be like, yeah. Hey guys, I don't know anything about the community. I don't really know how you guys roll or how you guys talk, but I'm just going to kind of jump in here Well, you do. And you're looking for a way to become involved with people evangelistically. How do I reach outside of my bubble and see people that are unsaved? Well, there's a way yeah. you thought of a way that you were passionate about and you go, okay, now how can I intentionally bring light to this area? And I think that's what you do. Um, I think one of the biggest ones is for stay-at-home moms. You know, they they it goes back to the whole idea of seeing every situation, whether you're a single person with with a lot. And I'm broad brushing. Not every single person has all the time in the world, but I'm in the Paul sense. You have a you have less responsibilities on a family level, uh, whether you're that person or you're the or you're the mom. My wife, for instance, with four littles in their home where it just seems like they're in the cloud stage of life where, you know, they don't know which way's up. Uh, Your ministry to those kids is eternally purposeful. And uh, and then you kind of just think through other other areas in your life that you can minister to. Um, So I think that's how I would start to think through your methods. Yep. Yeah. All right, wrapping it up here, we got one more question. You know, we we live in America. We seek comfort. I think the American church seeks comfort probably on a lot of levels, right? Whatever's the easiest, whatever's the most comfortable. And one of the last points, you said advised with a warning. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, you know, wolves, flogging, death, hated, suffering. Like those aren't real, like, friendly words to use when it talks about like, Hey, join this group. And this is the outcome that you're going to get <laughs> is yeah. that like that. That's not, that's not like a real great selling point yeah. to the gospel and to Christianity. Yeah. 
Um, how, how, you know, you, you, you made another point that says not a surprise, but a certainty yeah. that that's going to, that's going to be our outcome. Uh, is that true in America? What does suffering look like? And what, what does that look like for us as Christians? Like, how, how does that actually play out? Because a lot of people would say, like, yeah, we're not really, we're not really being persecuted. It's not really that tough. And that's really never going to happen in America because we're the greatest country in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can go the, the natural answer, which is to go, well, the suffering's coming, right? Which may be true. Uh, it looks like it's a big possibility that the way the world is going, that suffering is going to be coming to America, which I believe probably is true. Um, but we can't live in the theoretical all the time to go, well, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Um, there is suffering that goes on now. Uh, again, I think that next, not the next level of importance, but just another level of it is, you know, the rejection. Where it, we're, we are living in a world, America is a world right now that, uh, that is that does look down on the devouted Christian. Uh, it very much uh, wants you to be a nominal Christian. That is the normal idea of Christianity. And then the millennials and the Gen Zers, they all believe in God, but none of them are Christians. Again, broad brushing here. Um, so, again, you're talking about future generations, and I would say my generation and, and your kids' generation, I mean, they really are living in a world that is not Christian. Uh, um, to find somebody who's actually would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, uh, is becoming far more rare and, and saying that they're a genuine Christian. Most of them would say, yeah, I believe in a God. I believe in some sort of higher power, some sort of being that created us. And so, of course, that leads way to persecution of some sorts, uh, even from the nominal Christians. Um, the example was given a couple weeks ago with one of our youth who stood up for, in a loving way, just saying, look, I, I still hold to true, genuine, biblical views of sexuality. And she was persecuted for it, right? Yep. And she wasn't beaten, but she was persecuted yeah. for it. She lost her friends. I mean, she 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 experienced what Jesus said right there. They will hate you because of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we shouldn't expect any different. Um, I've had plenty of experiences with that. One of my best friends, uh, he's in my wedding. Uh, love him dearly. Still love him dearly. Uh, he professed to become a Christian. Now he's more of an, again, going to what I just explained, an agnostic, atheist, more agnostic, probably a God type of a person. Um, he got married, didn't even invite me to his wedding. And so like stuff like that, it yeah. like cuts you deep. Now, was I beaten? No, but like emotionally, like I, I really hurt for him to look at me straight in the face. I can't remember if it was through a call or a text or whatever and go, you know, it was straight to the face. I remember that now he goes, Oh, my wedding's just going to be with family. And then to see on social media that he had all of his friends there, but not me. You know, like stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, it was because I, after he walked away from the faith, I pursued him. I was like, dude, what's the deal, man? And and I pushed him on that and he did not like that. So, I mean, you experience things like that. Um, I was going to say something else, uh, but it, it's kind of escaping me now. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think uh, suffering will become more and more common. Uh, and, uh, 
Yeah, I was going to say something else, but I'll just escape my mind. So maybe that's God's way of saying stop there. (laughs) Be done. (laughs) Be done. (laughs) No, that is, those are really good thoughts. It was a great message. Really challenging, I think, to our people and to the people that get to listen to it. I think it's something for us to all think about. Like, what what are we doing here? What is our mission on this earth while we're here? God's given us gifting. He's given us um, bodies and health. Like, let's use it. For his glory. Any any final thoughts just as a word of encouragement and then we'll wrap it up here. Uh yeah, I mean just to piggyback on that, the last thought on suffering. I mean, the 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 call of God on a Christian is to suffer temporarily for eternal glory. Like you could summarize Christianity in that sense. Suffer temporarily and go to glory eternally. Um because God's not calling you to a, a temporary, pleasurable life. He is calling us to chase after our most joyful life, our most pleasurable life. And that ultimately is found through suffering, which sounds counterintuitive, right? To say my most joyful life and my most pleasurable life is going to be found through suffering like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's what that's what the end of Hebrews 13 says. Let us also go to him who is outside of the city and suffer with him so that we might go on. Um, and yeah, that's the Christian walk right there. And uh, and the more you obey that call to take one more step uh, um, to obey God's call in your life, then yeah, you're going to experience God more and, uh, and ultimately it's going to be more sanctifying and more joyful. So keep it up, keep going. And, and I got to say that to myself too, because I don't yeah. always obey it. Yeah. Yeah. Good word. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Thanks for preaching the other day. And thanks for stopping by and sharing your heart now. Appreciate you and how God's working in you. So thanks again for listening. Those of you who are listeners for joining us here on the Sailorville podcast.